Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for your patience. <clears throat> Merry Christmas. Not Merry Xmas. You know, not Merry Winterfest, you know, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And this is the last Sunday of 2014. And we are, we're going to be looking at Psalm 146. And I really struggled, I was saying to my son this morning, like, I didn't really know how to entitle this message, apart from the fact that I knew it had to contain a reference to God's faithfulness, and the fact that also it's a psalm, which means it's a song, right? So I thought, okay, a, a song of God's faithfulness, and that would work, but trying to be probably maybe over-contemporary, I don't know, you know... I called it a, a track entitled, right? So for all the DJs and for anyone who's familiar with music like many of us are, hopefully this doesn't take away from the truth of the, the message, far from it. Hopefully what it does is it, it really helps us to appreciate the meaning of the message. So if you want a song entitled God, God's Faithfulness, that's great. And for those of you that enjoy a track entitled God's Faithfulness, if anything, what it is, is it's a song of cheer to end the year. You want to say that with me? A song of cheer to end the year. And let's end the year with a song. Let's end the year with a psalm. And before we read... As I'm hoping that you're turning to Psalm 146, I'm going to pray. Oh, Father, we need to pray. We need to pray, as my wife was singing in the house on the way out, we need to pray just to make it today. MC Hammer, there's many things he said, that that's one of the things he said that was true. And Father, we come before you on this last Sunday, this last weekend of the, the year. And another year has gone past. Yet we are still here because of your faithfulness. And we praise you, Lord. We may feel moffy and we may feel raggedy. Some of us may be flying, hey, into 2015. Can't wait for January 1st. But depending on where we are, Lord, regardless of where we are, we thank you that, that you're here. You're the God who's ever apparent, the God who is always ever present to it, Lord. And you'd give me um, great mercy, Lord, and, and great grace to help me to communicate, Lord, much of what is in this wonderful psalm. Would you help us today for the sake of the Lord Jesus, we pray, and in his name and for his fame. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 146, I forgot my Bible man, running out the house so I'm going to have to read from 
from my iPad. Psalm 1, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. This is what is known as a hallelujah psalm or a psalm of praise. There are quite a few of them. And five of them are found at the end of this 150 chapter book. The book of Psalms. And these hallelujah psalms, these psalms of praise, they all begin and end with hallelujah. Or, which is the Hebrew word. Or our English translation, praise the Lord. You can have a look. You look at the, the beginning of Psalm 147. It starts off, praise the Lord. The end of Psalm 147 ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 148 begins, praise the Lord. And it ends, praise the Lord. And so it continues through Psalm 149 and Psalm 150. Psalm 150 has got a whole heap of praise the Lords in it. If you're looking at your Bible with me. No matter what type of year you've had, good or bad, this is the way to conclude it. Amen? Verse 1, praise the Lord. Now verse 1 is a combination of two words in Hebrew. The first word is, is the word halal. And some of us remember that from back in the day when we done psalmody. Um, many of you have probably never heard of that, but it's a course teaching about praise. Um, and, and it gives a good, healthy, biblical overview uh, 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 of, of, of praise from the Old right through to the New Testament. Halal, it means to make a show, to boast, to be clamorously foolish. You remember that one, Pastor E? To be clamorously foolish, you know. To, to rave, to celebrate, to make a big deal of to glory, to praise. That's what the word halal means. And that's the first part of, of, of the, the meaning of this phrase, praise the Lord. The second part is Yehovah or, or Yahweh or Jehovah as we are familiar with. It's the I am that I am in short, Jah. And I'm tempted to say the other piece that comes after that that we're familiar with, but it don't really work, right? It don't fit. It's not biblical. 
Ja. The importance of this word can be seen by the frequency of its use in the Bible. It's used over 6,800 times. That is the word Yahweh. So when you put these two together, you get Halal Jah or Hallelujah in Hebrew. The English phrase is praise the Lord. Verse 1 is an exclamation. It's like praise the Lord. But it's also an exhortation. It's an exhortation or an invitation for others to join in on praise to the Lord. The King James Version renders this verse in verse 1 of Psalm 146. Praise ye the Lord. You hear the exhortation to others to join in? Regularly in Pentecostal um, circles, the exhortation from the front is, Shall we praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. You hear the invitation and the, and the response to the invitation? Hallelujah. All right. Hallelujah. That's exactly what it means. It's directed towards God, but also to those in the congregation. But notice the second part of verse one. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It's a call for a public response, but then it's also a call to a private response. Can you see that? In verse 2, the author continues in his personal response, and he says, I will praise the Lord. How? How long? As long as I live, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. In this verse, you can hear the author say the same thing twice. But with more intensity the second time. Not only will he just praise in terms of speaking. But also singing. Not only will it be to the Lord. But it's going to be to my Lord. My God. You hear the personalization. Not only as long as this individual lives on earth. But also after his, his earthly existence beyond this life, he says, I will praise him with my lives, plural. With the life I now have and the one hereafter. He says, I will sing. Have you ever wondered why it is that we make a habit of singing? We sing because it's, it's part of our biblical tradition. We've learned from the scriptures that speaking and also singing God's praise is fitting. It's that which God's people have always done. And it's that which God's people will continue to do. Listen to Exodus chapter 15 verse 1 and 2. Beginning of the Bible, right? Well, Give or take a chapter. Then Moses, verse 1, and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. 
This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. You hear that song? Right from the beginning of the inception of God's people. Incidentally, whenever you see the text laid out in this fashion, it's the difference between prose and poetry. I don't know if you ever noticed that in your Bible. Sometimes the text is laid out slightly differently. Well, it's, it's there for a reason. Some Bibles have it, some, some don't. Most of the modern translations do. And it's very helpful because it shows you what is poetry in your Bible. Now, you can't tell immediately because normally our poetry tends to rhyme very often. Not always, but very often. You know what I mean? But you see that and think, I, I didn't even realize that's poetry because it don't rhyme. Remember, it's in another language. And Hebrew poetry doesn't always rhyme. But that's just something to bear in mind. Remember, songs are, are, are simply poetry, right? Just set to music. So we see singing at the beginning of the Bible, right, here in Exodus. But we also see singing at the end of the Bible. It's something that we need to get, to get used to. Revelation chapter 15 verse 1 through 4 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues. Right, this is the last days. Which are the last for with them the wrath of God is finished. Be interesting when we get into, into eschatology. When we begin to look at end time prophecy. And, but that's not for now. Verse 2, and I saw what happened, so I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast, because he's going to get conquered, and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Verse 3, and they sing, wait a minute, the song of Moses. That's the song that we just read in Exodus. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Ooh, they're singing the song of the Lamb and they're calling him God. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. We'll come back to that. Verse 4, who will not, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Good question. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Wow. So much to say, but not for today. Can you notice that that also is poetry? It's a song. Then at the very, very end, more praise. Now I hope you don't mind praising. If you don't now, you, you will then. Revelation chapter 19 verse 4 to 7 says, and the 20, and it's funny because we can get a heads up as to what the songs we're going to sing then are now. We can learn the words. <laughs> Revelation 19 verse 4 to 7, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, like Brother Bertram said, Amen, Hallelujah. That's our word. Praise the Lord. Our phrase. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, 
like the roar of many waters and, and, and the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. You might remember that's a, that's a phrase from a song that's quite familiar. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. See, two more phrases, verses from song, from, from a song. Speaking and singing to God is that which people have always done. That is God's people. And it's that which God's people will continue to do. And, <clears throat> and, there's, and there's a twofold direction to our praise. I've already mentioned it. It's vertical, right, to God, but it's also horizontal. It goes, it goes up toward God, but it goes out towards others. Colossians chapter 3 I hope I got the right reference this week. Verse 16 says, "Let the word this is so important. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly." Doing what? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, how? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Can you see the by this verse that singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God vertically. This results in the teaching and the admonition of others in all wisdom. How? Horizontally. Just as a side note, this is also a form of evangelism. We preach as we reach out. Telling the unconverted about the wonderful things that God has done. You know, the word gospel is good news. And it's akin to an individual coming from the battle that's been won. And he comes back after running, I don't know, 10 miles and he's busted. But he's rejoicing, he's overjoyed. And like, what's the news? The news is victory. We've won the battle. That's the heart of the communication of the gospel. It's good news about the king who's overcoming the battle on your behalf, on my behalf, on our behalf. He's won, which means we win if we're on his team. Now, after saying all that about praise, hmm, imagine if I went on to demand that you... Today, in here, praise the Lord. Stand up and right now and praise God. I mean, let's stop the sermon right now. And everybody in the room, release your praise right now in this place. Now, if I were to do that, it wouldn't be foreign to you if you've been in church for a little while, right? It could... It could quite possibly be what you expected to hear me say next. It's a common way of applying a text like this. But it's not a helpful way to motivate you to praise. I mean, I could make you get up right now. True? I mean, not because I'm powerful or mighty, but 
just because you're respectful, if I, and I'm saying as the, as the preacher, as one of your pastors, was to ask you to do something, and obviously if it's not sin, you know what I mean? You're going to respond, isn't it? Well, maybe some of you, maybe some of you wouldn't respond. But, I'm sure, whether you responded or you don't respond, I wonder how many would be doing it just because I said it. Just because I said it. See, imagine if you came in here feeling like rubbish. And you're actually struggling to praise God. I could, I could cause you to go out the way you came in. Feeling like rubbish. If I forced you now to get up and do something. That maybe you don't, even, you don't feel like you're actually able to do. And you walk out feeling like, I got up and I, and I did what I was asked to do, but it's not, really, it's not really where I'm at. Imagine me as the preacher saying, how is your praise life? Are you, are you praising God every day? Have you been an overcomer this year? Like the author says in verse 2, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Have you been worshipping God like that this year? Good. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm expecting that you're going to do the same in 2015. See, the question is, do you praise God like that? And you're like, well... Sometimes, but sometimes I don't. And maybe recently I haven't been. And, and we say that shamefully, don't we? And like I said, we walk out burdened by the fact that we don't meet up to the quote-unquote expectations. See, you wouldn't leave here encouraged. You'd leave possibly pretty discouraged I remember myself and Marky, we were in Jamaica, went to a conference. And um, there was about, I don't know, four or five sessions. And like every session and multiple times during the session, we were constantly exhorted from the front. Like, shall we praise the Lord? And there might be a, a gentle one and two. Yeah, praise the Lord. Then that's not enough. Like, shall we praise the Lord? And then a few more. And then I said, shall we praise the Lord? And... You know, I'm not knocking it. Hear my heart, innit? But I felt that I had to praise the Lord because everyone else was. I felt that I had to praise the Lord because people were watching. And how could I not praise the Lord when everyone's watching, especially if I'm one of the guests from England? I could give the impression that English English Christians are not very spiritual. So, hey, I've got to keep face, right? See, did you spend time praising God in your devotional time when you woke up today? Did you praise God before leaving your house this morning? When you came into church a moment ago, did you enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart and enter his courts with praise? Praise. 
I'm laboring it. I'm laboring it. See? Or have you flopped today? Have you flopped this week? Have you flopped this whole year? The preaching today on this text could be, well, you're not a very good Christian, are you? You're not really representing Jesus very well, are you? Same, would preaching like that be helpful to us, to you, to me? Can you see the direction that this message could, could easily take? It could easily become a psalm of God's rage rather than a psalm of God's praise. Now that's not to say that we should be happy when we aren't praising God. Of course, of course not. But that's very often where we find ourselves, is it not? I know I should be praising God, but I haven't been. Not in the way that I should. So, how do we encourage ourselves to praise God? How do we encourage ourselves to give God the praise that he is due? Without being browbeaten or manipulated. Praising God with our hands, but not with our hearts. If exhorting me to praise God doesn't necessarily help me to praise God, but it's really important that we praise God, how is it going to happen? Well, two things. First of all, nobody praises God in the way that he or she ought to. That should help you to sigh a sigh of relief and breathe. Nobody praises God in the way that he ought to be praised. That is apart from one person in all of history. And it's not even the writer of the psalm. He sounds real spiritual. But he had these bad days. He had these floppalopalopagus days, right? You know them days when you trip over and you end up in the bins, bang, bling. He had those days. And the only person that has been able to sing this or any other psalm is Jesus. Whether it's a psalm of lament or a psalm of high praise. Only Jesus can sing them perfectly. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil For thou art with me. Psalm 23. Who can say that? I mean we can all say that. Probably there are some of us that can say that more than others. Because you've been through the valley of the shadow of death possibly this year. But I I I can safely say. Nobody can say that like Jesus. Nobody went through the valley of the shadow like him. Can anyone... Can anyone say it with as much conviction as Jesus? How about this? Blessed is the man who walks not after the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the seat of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But can any of us say that? Perfectly. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it does he meditate. How often? Day 
and night. Can we say that? Ooh, sometimes we can. Maybe this year you couldn't. Maybe next year you will. Who knows? But only one person can say that perfectly. That he meditates on God's word day and night. That man shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who will bring forth his fruit in its season. And everything he puts his hand to will prosper and his leaves will not wither. Who can say that? We can say that, can't we? But can anybody say it like Jesus? Psalm 1. How about this? All who see me mock me. They make fun of me. They wag their heads. Now we can all say that. How about the rest? Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. My strength is dried up and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. A company of evildoers encircles me. You ever felt like that? But then can you say, the next part of the verse, verse 16, Psalm 22, they pierce my hands and my feet. Even the writer of that psalm, David, never had that happen to him. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Wow. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God is the translation from the Hebrew. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that might ring true for you this past year. But how many of you know you can't say that like Jesus did? And he said that, didn't he? Jesus said that, shouting it from the cross, quoting Psalm 22. Those, seven, those six verses that I just read, for, read to you are all from Psalm 22. And how about the rest of Psalm 22? Verse 22, he says, and it's funny because the first part is very dark. But then listen to this second part. And again, only Jesus can say this. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. This is another song, by the way. Verse 24, Psalm 22. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard him when he cried to him. Imagine being in a dark place, like the beginning of Psalm 22, but then the same person is able to say this. He's not despised or abhorred, abhorred the afflicted in their affliction. Wow. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So when Jesus said from the cross, the beginning of this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It could sound as if Jesus, oh my gosh, he's lost his faith. He's lost his trust in the Father. But he said that from the cross because they knew this song. It was like one of the classic lines from a classic song. And as soon as they heard it, they, wait a minute, he's quoting Psalm 22. Why is he quoting Psalm 22? Oh my gosh. Psalm 22 is a psalm that talks about an individual having his hands and his feet pierced. A thousand years 
before today, that prophecy was given about the Messiah, about the Savior. Verse 25, from you comes, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Who can say they can perform all of their vows? Verse 30, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Remember what Jesus said from the cross at the end? It is finished. He has done it. See, only Jesus can pray. Only Jesus can sing the Psalms perfectly. And, he's the, and, and why would that be a surprise? He's the one that the Psalms are all about. Luke 24, verse 44. Easy to remember. Luke 24, verse 44. And we've showed you this verse a few times. I remember Pastor E flushed it up a couple of weeks ago. And you know what? It's not tedious for us to do this. It's really vital and important. And it's beneficial for you to understand that all of the Bible is about Jesus. Luke 24, 44 says, Then he said, speaking of Jesus, right, when he was walking on the road to Emmaus, to those two individuals who didn't even recognize him up until a certain point. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in in the law of Moses and the prophets and the what? And the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus, Jesus teaches us how to pray, but he also teaches us how to praise. And that from the Psalms. When in the temple as a young man, prior to starting his ministry, Jesus would have heard this Psalm. And the exhortation in verse 1, to praise the Lord, And he's standing there, sitting there, in that synagogue, 14, 15, 16, 17, 19, 20, 21 years of age. Way before he started his ministry, he would have been able to say, unlike any one of us, praise the Lord. He would have done it perfectly, not like you and me, half-heartedly. Okay, now that's the first thing that we need to know that's going to help us to praise God, to praise the Lord. Getting back to our text in Psalm 146. Now get this. Oh my gosh. Wow. The second thing that will cause us to want to praise God sincerely, like genuinely, like enthusiastically, without being hyped, is when we understand his faithfulness. Forevermore, when we experience his faithfulness. Have you heard, let me ask you, have you heard that the God of the Bible is faithful? We've been reading through the Psalms in our discipleship ministry training over the Christmas. We've got to read through 150 of the, the whole book of Psalms in four weeks. I think it's something like we're reading like five chapters a day, right? And I, I, I'm amazed as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm just reading through it. Not trying to study it. Like you're never going to study it. 
not in four weeks. And as we're reading through, I just, I've, I've just seen how often the writers, the, the different authors in the Psalms make reference to the fact that God is faithful. And they say anyone who puts their trust in him will what? Will never be put to shame. I, I've seen it about seven or eight times come up in like 40 chapters. Amazing. Have you heard that the God of the Bible is faithful? Have you experienced the trustworthy nature of the Lord God of Scripture? See, until you understand God's faithfulness, until you understand God's trustworthiness, you ain't going to sing. You ain't going to sing his praises. You ain't going to say praise the Lord if you don't understand his faithfulness. Verse 3 begins to help us. He's wondering when I was going to get back to the text, right? Looking at your watch. Verse 3 begins to help us by showing us an example of what happens when we express faith and trust. But be careful. Verse 3 begins to help us by showing us what happens when we put our faith, our trust in things that will inevitably fail us. It's a warning against putting our trust in anything and everything that isn't the Lord. It's a warning against putting our trust in I don't know how you started this year. But we're at the end now, isn't it? But hopefully this will be an encouragement as we're leaving that this year, as we go into the new year. With regard to what not to put your trust in. Look at verse 3. You've probably read it five times already since I've hyped it, right? Verse 3. Put not your trust. See, we've got to have faith, but there's some places you don't put your faith. You don't express your faith. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. Verse 4, when his breath departs or returns to the earth, hey, on that very day his plans perish. (laughs) You need to make a good investment, right? Princes. Well, we know what he isn't speaking about, right? He's not speaking about Prince Charles. He's not speaking about Prince Charles' sons, Harry and William, when he makes reference to princes. Obviously, they weren't born at that time. But it is a reference to the rich, to the wealthy, to the powerful, to the famous, to the strong, to the influential, to, the, to those who are powerful, clever and talented, The type of people that we tend to put our trust in. See, where do you turn to for hope or help? In illness or in time of accident? When you've lost your job? When you potentially lose your home? Where do you turn when you're lonely? Where do you turn when your children go off the rails? 
Would you turn at a time of death? This is where we live. Family. Where do we turn in these difficult times? In these difficult circumstances? In these difficult circumstances, where do you put your trust? Where do I put my trust? Where do we put our trust? In a human being? I mean, even as I say it, it sounds, it sounds pitiful, right? But it's, it's what we do. And we know that that's what this means because in verse 4 says they will die. That is the individual we put our trust in because they're mortal. You may have been looking for someone even this Christmas. Hoping, hoping that a particular someone would provide what you need. It's what we do as humans, isn't it? We make idols of things and we make idols of people. And it's funny because as I look out, myself included, horizontally, our encouragement is to take our eyes away from looking horizontally and to look vertically. We can't look to one another. Even though that's our human inclination, isn't it? It's our, it's our human proclivity. Even this Christmas, have you been hoping that a particular someone would provide for you, would help you, would heal you, would spend time with you, that someone would deliver you or to save you? Verse 3 says no. You know, sometimes we place unreasonable burdens on people that they're unable to bear. It's actually quite unfair. No mortal individual can ultimately save or rescue you. And you know, this will save us from bitterness and anger. Because immediately when we put our trust in someone and they let us down, they fail us, the temptation is to get bitter with them. And we may not say it immediately, but at some point it will come out right because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And we get bitter because we've... And not only do we get bitter, sometimes that, that becomes anger. And we get a root of bitterness. And if you have a bitter root, you know you, you can anticipate the taste of the fruit. And sometimes we get, not only we get bitter with that person, but we get angry with them for letting us down. And then we get to that point where we realize that our real anger isn't, isn't, it doesn't stop with the person. We actually end up being angry against God. Because he's the one that let it happen. You see the trajectory? See, this will save us from bitterness and anger. Don't put your trust in princes. 
But as much as an ordinary prince can't save you, there's a particular prince that you can trust in. More about him in a minute. This second thing that really helps us to praise the Lord along with the psalmist is a warning. The encouragement is clear. Do not put your trust in anything or anyone that will eventually, ultimately fail you. But very often we don't take that advice, do we? And we have to learn the hard way. You know, there are two ways in this life that we learn. You either learn by instruction or you learn by experience. One is an easy teacher. One is a very hard teacher. It's better to learn by instruction than to have to learn by experience. But either way, how many of you know, we will learn. <laughs> so that's the warning. And many of us have experienced the failure of misplaced expectations. Now, watch verse 5. Wow. Turning point of the psalm. Wow. Watch verse 5 where our real help and hope come from. With good reason and rationale. Verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Blessed is he whose hope is in the Lord his God. Help speaks of the present and hope speaks of the future. You got back 100 Psalms to Psalm 46 and listen to what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In times of trouble, another translation says. And notice the contrast with verse 4. Don't put your trust in someone who is human and will eventually die. Put your trust in someone who is superhuman. Whose existence goes back over the centuries, even to Jacob. Because the right end of the Psalms was years after the time of Jacob. So... Put your trust in someone who who isn't going to die is the point. See, God isn't about to die, regardless of what Frederick Nietzsche said, right? Did he write? Did he he had a staying, right? He said, God is dead, Nietzsche. (laughs) Because he was one of them philosophers who felt that, you know, he understood the end from the beginning. I mean, he was a man. He was a mortal man. But he thought he understood everything i heard someone say that you know you heard the phrase um imagine me saying there's no tea in china for me to be you know for me to be able to say that with conviction and any kind of honesty would mean that i would go through every single paddy field every single i was gonna say rice field every single field in china looking observing and making sure And come back and be able to say to you, there's no tea in China. But what fool is going to make a statement like that? Frederick Nietzsche. God is dead. (laughs) I mean, he he hasn't even left the planet. Look how big the universe is. He hasn't even left the planet. 
What an idiotic God is dead. For him to be able to prove that would mean he'd have to go through the whole universe and then be able to come back and say, hey, everybody, guess what? I've searched the whole universe and God is he's dead. I found him. Right? I think, was it one of the guys who first went to space? I think from the spacecraft, I don't know, Mia or whichever, Apollo, whatever it was, the, the Russian astronaut, he said when he was up in space, he says, was it when they landed on the moon or something like that? He was, but he was like, oh, we're up in space, he says, and I have to let you know, God isn't here. <laughs> the man just went a couple thousand miles outside the Earth's orbit chatting about God is not here. Nietzsche said, God is dead. And then guess what happened? Nietzsche died. And then God wrote, and then someone wrote, and someone crossed it out and said, Nietzsche is dead. <laughs> and he could prove that. Why did I say all that? I always do that, don't I? See, we need to put our trust in, in, in someone who's superhuman. We need, we need to put our trust in someone whose existence goes, existence goes back centuries, as we see in the text, to Jacob. See, uh, God isn't about to die. He's been around for a while. And he will continue to stay around. Remember, he's Jehovah. He's Yahweh. He's the I am, the I am, the ever-present one. I am is continual present tense. He's not the I was. He's the God of the living, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he's the living God. See, God protects. A little bit earlier, we saw that man's plans, they fail when he dies. God's projects and his plans, they never perish. Because he doesn't. And notice, the psalmist doesn't just go back to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He goes back even further to Genesis 1. Look at verse 6. The Lord God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. You hear the, you hear the echo back to the creation in Genesis 1? Hey. The psalmist takes it all the way back to creation, providing credentials for the trustworthy creator who keeps faith for how long? Thank you, my brother. Right on time, right on cue. Wow. It's like we rehearsed it. He keeps faith forever. Are you beginning to get a sense of encouragement? By the time we get to the end of the psalm, I hopefully won't have to crank you up to praise the Lord. This God is faithful. And it's further displayed. Verse 7. The God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. He's just and fair. To the hungry, he gives food. And to those who are imprisoned, he grants freedom. See, this is the type of stuff that we want to hear in our music. Remember, this is a song. <laughs> good quality lyrical content. Wow, this God sounds good. He sounds extremely worthy 
of praise. Especially if your name is the oppressed, the hungry, and the imprisoned. Verse 8, it goes on. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Can you identify with the blind and the bowed down? The broken, the disheveled, the hurt, those in pain? Not even strong enough to lift up your head like the man who smote his breast and said, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Remember that, remember that time when you were, you, were, you were blind and you were so blind you didn't even know you were blind. I remember hearing, was it Rick Godwin, talk about the fact that we're so lost and we're so blind and we're so, we're like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't there. I know that sums up my life before I met Christ, before God saved me by his grace. Now look at that list and see as we, get, as we, as we, as we draw to a conclusion. Look at that list and see if you can tell which one is the odd one out. Now you're like, I ain't even got my Bible, so hey, help me, Pastor Rob. Look at that list and see if you can tell which is the odd one out. Listen, the oppressed... The hungry, the imprisoned, the blind, the bowed down or the humble, the lowly in spirit, the righteous. Ooh. Verse 9, the sojourners. That is those outsiders, as we saw even last week in our Christmas message with Ruth. The Moabites, outsider. And also in that lineage was Rahab, the prostitute. Hey, Sojourners, outsiders. Also in verse 9, the widow, the fatherless. See, can you, hear, can you hear the gospel? This is good news for anyone who fits this description. But which one is the odd one out? Wow. I've got birth from a Missy, Mr. and Mrs. Oete, tag teaming here. Missy said the righteous. Amen, my sister. That is the odd one out at the end of verse 8. You know, I could never dare speak about the book of Psalms without making a reference to Christopher Ash. Christopher Ash is the director of the Cornhill Preacher Training College. And we had the, I had the privilege of, of being instructed by him at Cornhill for two years part-time. That is actually a picture at Cornhill. What a delight. What a delight. Christopher makes reference to, to these verses and says, these are not descriptions of different people. Because, you see, you could read this list and be like, oh, oppressed, yeah, that's me. Oh, the blind, yeah, that's me. Oh, hungry, yeah, that's me. But then the righteous, you'd be like, oh, that's not me. It doesn't fit. You can't be all of them things and be righteous, can you? See, yes you can. Yes you can. Because these are not descriptions of different people, but different descriptions of the same people. See, the righteous is a reference to those who are oppressed to those who are 
broken hearted, the imprisoned, the blind, the widow, the fatherless. Beautiful. Matthew chapter 5 helps us because verse 1 to 6 says, now think about our list as we read. I've highlighted it for us anyway. Verse 1, Matthew 5, seeing the crowds, speaking of Jesus, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth, wow, and out dropped pearls, diamonds. And he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the bowed down, the broken. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Can you begin to see how Jesus would have sung this psalm? He became the agent through which God would fulfill all of these promises. As he took our place as our substitute. Exchanging our need with his provision, exchanging our sin with his righteousness. Jesus can sing this psalm. But how many of you know we too can also sing this psalm? Can you begin to see that? Because as much as there are parts of this psalm that we struggle to sing, you may be here today at the end of 2014 and you struggle to say, I'm righteous. Because you know by your actions, I know by my actions I'm not. That's, that's prior to becoming a Christian, definitely. But then after becoming a Christian, I flopped horribly. See, but we can begin to sing this, even though we struggle to sing parts. There are parts of this, there are parts of this psalm that we can easily sing. Verse 5 and 6, blessed is he. I say, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You are the Lord God, verse 6, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. You are the creator. I'm the creature. I can sing that. The end of verse 6. You, Lord God, are forever faithful. I can sing that. Praise the Lord. Why? Because it is him, verse 7, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Jehovah sets the prisoners free. Verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. I can sing that. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. I can sing that. The Lord loves the righteous. That is, those who have received righteousness it's imputed righteousness provided by Christ. One of my favorite verses in scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for our sake, he made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners, the outcasts, the outsiders. We write in here. Any Jews in here today? That means I didn't even have to wait for the answer. Every single one of us are outsiders, technically speaking, prior to 
receiving Christ. Gentiles we are. He watches over us. And he's watching over those who who he wants to further bring in. He upholds the widow. Remember Naomi and Ruth? But how about Sister Angela? And Sister Sarah Magudia, who's now at Calvary Chapel East Dulwich. And Mummy Sarah. The widow. He upholds the widow. Hey. And the fatherless. Kayas and Kezia. Maya. And Kieran and Kiel. Huh. Lord worked a miracle right there, innit? Courtney, Malachi, Levi. God upholds the fatherless. I can sing that. I told a story last week in the in the, in this I can say the evening service in the second service, just about my dad. And um, and how me and him never had no relationship. And I think about Pastor E, who was left in a dustbin. As a baby. See, I, as I say that, I, hate, I hesitate to say that because as I say that, many of you have never heard that. Wheel, he got left in a wheelie bin by his mom. His dad weren't on the scene. And look at that man. I heard Jason say the other day that Pastor Ephraim is one of his heroes. I nearly said idol. Heroes. And I mean... Look how God has upheld the fatherless. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He is the God of creation. He's the God of the gospel. For those who would receive it. But he's also the God of judgment. For those that won't receive the good news. Look at the end of verse 9. By the way. But the way of the wicked. He brings to ruin. This is an important aspect. Of God's righteousness. His righteous judgment of sin. And it makes complete sense. Because he's the king. Look at verse 10. The Lord will what? Reign forever. Oh my gosh. Ain't got time past the E. No other ordinary commonplace prince can be trusted. There's only one particular prince. And he's the prince of peace. Who has become God's king. Psalm 2. It's Jesus we celebrated his birth last week. The humble servant born in a stable who is actually the eternal king of the universe. Praise the Lord. And he reigns, verse 10 says, for how long? Forever. Don't even have to shout it. Forever. To all generations. End of verse 10. And there's a subtle clue as to his real identity. I made reference to it earlier. The Lord God, verse 10, will reign forever. Your God, O Zion. The king who reigns is himself very God. 
And we will learn that when we get into our new book in the new year. Without giving the... Without letting the cat out the bag. The king who reigns is himself very God. And he is king over Zion. Which is an Old Testament code word for God's place. God's place. According to Hebrews 12... It's the name of God's people. It's Ecclesia. God's place. The church. And I would say the final phrase of this song. This psalm is fitting. What is it? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's put our trust in him. Amen. Because God is faithful. I'm going to ask the guys to come and join me as we pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. And we're so grateful that you're not like us. Lord, my first inclination was as I read this psalm, as I read this song, was to say, this is what we need to do. We need to praise God. We need to praise the Lord. We need to say hallelujah. Come on, everybody. Say hallelujah. That's our inclination as we read this. But, Father, the honest truth is that even on our best day, we can't praise you the way you ought to be praised. And we thank you. Thank you for for helping us, for encouraging us, by not telling us what we should do, but telling us who you are, helping us to understand what you've done, especially in Christ, for us, apart from anything that we've done. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because then that would be my temptation, Father. My temptation would be like, hey, yes, I'm on this thing. I'm heavy. I'm spiritual. What about you lot? You lot need to fix up. Lord, that sounds to me like the Pharisees. Just like that story, Father, that, we, that I told earlier. The Pharisee stood praying by himself. Wow. Because that's what he was doing. He weren't talking to you. Because you weren't trying to hear that prayer. I'm glad I'm not like this sinner. I give my tithes and I, and I pray three times a day. Lord, deliver us from legalism. Deliver us from, from ever standing up as if we have anything to stand up on apart from Christ. We need to have our heads bowed down. We need to recognize, Lord God, that, that we're hungry. We're needy. For your righteousness. And that we're blind. And without you we'd be fatherless. We would be a bride with no bridegroom. We would be husbandless. We would be widows. Thank you that you're our father. And thank you that you're you're marrying us. The church. Your bride. Your body. And I thank you for this song. 
And I thank you, Lord God, that we can end this year, regardless of how it's been, we can end this year on a high note, excuse the pun, and we can sing of your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.